Sometimes we find ourselves praying for God to provide for our needs. And in extreme circumstances, some of us pray for miracles. We pray against all odds. Sometimes when we get the terrible news that we are struck by a disease that will ultimately take our lives, we pray. We pray for a miracle. We pray that somehow God will intervene and in His omnipotence, all-powerful self, that He will actually come through. There are times when we consider that the relationship that we are in is impossible to continue. That there is, there are irreconcilable things here that are too big for me, too big for us. And we find ourselves totally engrossed in, in praying against all odds for a miracle. We find ourselves at times in um, financial crises. And in those financial crises, we, we pray that God will, will provide against all odds. And in some of these cases, it is because we've made choices that actually deserve the consequences that we're in. But we pray to God. We ask for His omnipotence to, to work in this situation and give us relief. And when God does give us the assurance and the promise of doing what we might consider impossible, we laugh. It's that nervous laugh. It's the laugh of the self-talk that, that we get ourselves into. I don't know, have you monitored your self-talk recently? Sometimes, sometimes we, we are praying for a miracle and, we, and at the same time we're saying, well, could this really be true? Could this really happen? Is, is, can God really, would he really do that for me? And, and to add insult to injury, we are surrounded with people who are often pessimistic and uh, are trying to be realistic, and, um, and so they wind up uh, telling us things like, uh, well, let's keep it real, um, or just keeping it real, I, uh, you know, don't, don't expect all, all that, that much to happen. In fact, you know, there's a 90% chance that you, that you won't succeed at this particular thing. And these realists have an impact on us sometimes, and uh, they share their opinions of the impossibility or the improbability of something happening. Well, let me just give you a little 
allegory that makes the point. Once upon a time, there were a bunch of tiny frogs, and they arranged uh, to have a running competition. The goal was to reach the top of a really, really high tower. And a big crowd had gathered around the tower to see the race and cheer the contestants on. And the race began. Honestly, no one in the crowd really believed that these tiny frogs would reach the top of the tower. You heard statements such as, they will never make it to the top, or not a chance that they will succeed. The tower is too high. Some tiny frogs began to collapse. Others had developed a fresh tempo and were, were climbing higher and higher, and the crowd continued to yell. It's too difficult. No one can make it. More tiny frogs got tired and gave up, but one continued higher and higher and higher. This one wouldn't give up. At the end, everyone else had given up climbing the tower except for one tiny frog. And after a huge effort, he was the only one who reached the top. Then all the other tiny frogs naturally wanted to know how this frog managed to do it. A contestant asked the tiny frog how he had found the strength to succeed and reach the goal. It turned out that the winner was deaf. We can't listen to the naysayers and the other voices. Scout, I'm glad you continued your race and that your team won against all odds. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 17, verses 15 and following. You can follow with me as we, as we go through the story. Just the um, prequel to this particular part of the story is that Abraham and Sarai had bowed to the popular opinion that really old people can't have children. So they used a socially acceptable uh, custom of the time and decided to have a baby through Hagar, Sarai's servant. So Ishmael was born and was growing up and was now about uh, 13 years old. And, um, and that's where we begin the story. God reveals himself once more to Abraham, and he, he tells him um, that Sarai, S-A-R-A-I, which means my princess, 
and was probably the, the loving name that Abraham used for her, my princess is now going to be called Sarah, which means a princess. And, uh, and furthermore, God reveals to Abraham that the, he will bless Sarah and, and uh, will surely give her a son. He says, I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people shall come from her. She is a princess. Abraham, she's not just your princess. She is the princess from whom generations of leaders and the ultimate blessing of God will be given. At this, Abraham fell face down and he laughed and he said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And, and, and Abraham, Abraham turns to God and he says, well, maybe you can use Ishmael after all. If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. And God says to him, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I've heard you. I will bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant, my covenant is with your offspring, with Sarah's offspring, that the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Abraham, that very day, decided to be circumcised and to circumcise uh, Ishmael and, to, and, to, uh, and all the male uh, uh, heirs, uh, all the male uh, servants that, were, that had been purchased with his, with his wealth, and they were all circumcised on that very day. Shortly after that, we, the story continues, and it says that the Lord appeared, and this is in chapter 8, starting with verse, verse 1, if you're following in your Bibles, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. And um, so when... He's sitting there, and he sees these three individuals coming to him. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. And then he says, if I have found favor in your eyes, please come in. My tent 
is yours. We'll provide water for the washing of your feet. And of course, in those days, with sandals and everything and walking in the dust, that was a, that was a gesture of kindness and hospitality. And, uh, and he goes to Sarah and she, he says, hey, get, get, the, get the flour out, uh, make, some, make some bread. And he goes out and he gets, he gets uh, uh, some livestock. He brings it in. It has to be dressed. It has to be, it has to be cooked. These guests stayed for quite a while, you know? Uh, they didn't have the microwave ovens <laughs> that we can depend on today. So these guests stick around. And as uh, as they uh, and and they receive their meal and they and they're grateful for it. And um, then the question comes: uh, Where is Sarah? Uh, well, she's she's in the tent. Then the Lord said, "I will surely." return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Abraham had already gotten that message, but now Sarah was listening from the entrance of the tent, which was behind him, and, and Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing, and so Sarah now laughs. It's sort of that <laughs> nervous laugh. Yeah, God has promised this, but after I'm worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? <coughs> Excuse me. Then the Lord says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And God then promises, the Lord then promises that he will come back and that Sarah will have a child. Um, Sarah was afraid, so she lied. I did not laugh, she said. And the Lord said, yes, you did. Why is it that sometimes when we are in the midst of a stressful situation, when a question comes that requires us to, to actually put ourselves on the line, that sometimes we resort to um, wishful thinking that we hadn't done it, <laughs> or to outright deny uh, the situation that we're in. Not only do we see in this experience of Abraham and Sarah what happens when God himself decides to answer our prayers with something that we consider to be impossible, and the nervous laugh comes right at that point. The, the self-talk begins to come out. 
And in our minds, we begin to say, yes, yes, we, I, I believe that the Lord can do this, but really, is this something that, uh, that God would, would do for me? And, and what are the odds? Have you, have you ever said that? What are the odds that something like this is going to happen for me? You know, the, God takes care of his people in all sorts of adversity. He, is, he was in the process of taking care of the childlessness of Abraham and Sarah who had been promised that they would have heirs that would number the stars in the sky. And it hadn't happened. And they figured that they had fixed it and now God comes along and he says, now, you know, you didn't wait for my miracle, but now it's going to happen. And they say, uh, <laughs> can that really be true? Watch your self-talk and make sure that the promises that you claim, you really believe. There's another part of this story. It's found in Genesis 21, where um, now uh, Sarah has had Isaac, and uh, he, has, uh, he has been circumcised on his eighth day, and when he is weaned from his mother's breast, there is a party. There's a huge celebration that Abraham calls people to. And um, during that celebration, Ishmael is making fun of Isaac. And Sarah is upset. She says, this woman has to go. And, uh, you know, eventually what happens is that Abraham packs a lunch, packs a water bottle, sends her out into the wilderness, and as time goes on, the food is gone, the drink is gone. She's looking at her boy, ready to die, wondering what is going to happen. And I'm sure she prayed that God would intervene. In an impossible situation, an angel comes to her, comforts her, and she discovers a well where they might find water and survive. God is good all the time. D.L. Moody said, when God is going to do something wonderful, he starts with a difficulty. When God is going to do something very wonderful and miraculous, he starts with an impossibility. Partnering with God is something that sometimes we don't capture fully. Maybe the message uh, comes through in a little African story that we learned some years ago. One day, the story goes, 
An elephant and a mouse went for a walk in the forest. And as they were going along, they came to a wooden bridge. And as they crossed the bridge, the bridge shook. And when they got to the other side, the mouse turned her head to the elephant and said, we really shook that bridge, didn't we? <laughs> and that's the way it is with God. That is the way it is with us. And at this point, I'll share a personal note of things that could have been impossible. At the age of 27, we discovered that my mother had polycystic kidney disease and was needing dialysis. In her sickness, in her uh, feebleness at that point, uh, she began the treatments and uh, we noticed it and read about it and discovered, well, there's something hereditary that comes along. Let me have myself checked. And at the age of 27, I discovered that I had polycystic kidney disease. And uh, as I consulted with the doctors and said, well, well, what do I have to do right now and so forth, they said, no, you can live a normal life, uh, drink plenty of water, take care of yourself, make sure that, uh, that you, uh, you know, are, are, stay fit. And um, so we continued in ministry. We pastored churches. I worked as a departmental director. We, went, we worked through various uh, um, circumstances in our, in our career. We were sent to Africa where we served for five years. In the Euroasia division, we, we were sent from there to, to Russia during the, uh, right after the fall of the Iron Curtain to help get that new division started. We came back and uh, God wonderfully preserved me as we went along, but then I got into my 50s and uh, the kidneys could no longer continue to expand. And our, my internist uh, sent me to a nephrologist and um, said, well, you'll probably need a transplant, and they started the process. Now, while we were starting the process, May Ellen, you came up with this crazy idea that you, and you started campaigning to give me a kidney. Whatever possessed you? Well, I, I loved you. That's the bottom line. <laughs> and I had seen how, how Gaspar's mother had suffered so much dialysis three times a week and all that. And for 12 years. For 12 years. And, and, and there's a five-year waiting list to get a transplant. And I said, well, it's worth a shot. I'm just going to get tested. Why not? Can't lose anything. May Ellen got tested. And... And after um, 31, and a half, 31 years of marriage at that point, I finally, for sure, found out that we were compatible. <laughs> and um, in more ways than I had imagined. <laughs> and in fact, uh, it, our, our blood types and all the 
criteria they go by match so well, it was beyond what was necessary to give him a kidney. So what did the doctors tell you? How did the doctors react when you wanted to do this? What was their concern? Well, they, they said, don't even think of it. You know, you're, you're not his sister, his cousin, his relative, plus your parents. Don't, it's just, you know, and I, there was a little laugh in there too, speaking of laughs. So don't get your hopes on this. And so basically I was told to don't even, don't even think it's gonna happen. But you also had a complication that they were com concerned about. Yeah, I was a cancer survivor and had chemotherapy and they thought that might damage my uh, kidney. And so that was a concern. Yeah. Okay. So they checked out, they checked your kidneys, they found out that uh, actually they had survived the chemotherapy quite, quite nicely and you were able to, um, to uh, donate that kidney on August 7, 2003. <laughs> 14 years ago. Yeah, after, after all that laughing, um, well, Sarah gave birth to a, a child. I gave birth to a kidney. We even gave it a name, by the way. I'll tell you later. <laughs> <laughs> so, May Ellen, what is your takeaway from this? Well, my takeaway is, well, whenever there's an um, issue that seems impossible, um, don't listen to my self-talk or be deaf like that frog to negativity. And, and, and I, you know, I asked myself, even more so since then, May Ellen, what are you worrying about? God has it all figured out. Amen. Amen. See, God's promises are just and sure and they are as just and sure as they have ever been. His omnipotence is available for you and for me. Mayellen and I visited a lady in Loma Linda. Uh, she was a physician in Loma Linda and she was uh, dying of cancer. And uh, she was in her final stages and we learned that, um, that she uh, would probably not last more than a day or two. And so we got a little candle as a gift uh, to put in the room. Uh, May Ellen brought her guitar. We went over there thinking that we would be probably the only ones to be visiting her that evening and there were about 15 people in the room. And um, since the lady was a physician and uh, had clout, uh, all these people were allowed to be around her in the room. We sang some songs, we prayed. And as, uh, as we were praying, Dr. Randall, which is her name, suddenly brought her head up and in the raspy voice of someone who is dying, she blurted out, 
God is going to heal me. And her four children were physicians. And you can see their faces, and, and, and the atmosphere in the room became thick enough to cut with a knife. And nobody said anything. And then Dr. Randall got a smile on her face, and she says, and I don't care which side of the grave he does it in. God's mighty power and his promise is not simply for this life alone. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Turn with me to Jeremiah 32, verse 17. We find the answer there. Jeremiah 32, verse 17. It says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Think on these things. Turn in your hymnals to hymn number 518, 518. A great preacher, Elder Earl Cleveland, used to say, it's time that we stopped sitting on the premises and started standing on the promises. Let's sing about that now.
loving Father, thank you so much that heaven can come down and glory fill our souls, that we can truly stand on promises that you have made, forgive our self-talk, forgive our laughter, and help us to joyfully enjoy the blessings of being in partnership with you. For I pray in Jesus' name, amen.